God. What the hell happened here? I don't know what the hell's in there, but it's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. We're not getting out of here alive. But neither is that thing. What's up, you creepy fucks? It's your boy, BP. And uh, welcome to the, the newest episode of the Let's Talk Horror Channel podcast. Uh, we're here again. Um, I've made it. I've made it to another one. People have listened uh, enough to me talk shit about horror films for me to, uh, to keep going, which is nice. Um, I am super excited about doing this um, because, I mean, if you listen to my other podcast episodes, um, you will sort of know how much of I'm in love with the master of horror, John Carpenter. Uh, and pretty much any film that he's done. So um, on this episode, uh, we will be talking about the absolute iconic classic horror, uh, The Thing, which is more than just a horror to me. It is like, you know, a perfect movie, but we get into why. But well, I keep saying we, but there's obviously a reason as to why I keep saying we, uh, because we have a guest on the show again, which is amazing for me because I don't have to just listen to my fucking annoying voice going on and on. Um, <laughs> but we've got Anastasia from um, the Horror Versus Reality podcast, as well as your new podcast, Attack of the Killer Objects. How are you? I'm great. How Thank you? you for oh I'm I'm, I'm splendid as, as about as splendid as you can be when you're trying to figure out all this shit out. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so you've got you've got your horror versus reality podcast, which is amazing. Um, and obviously, I've I've now been on it, which I was I was very happy to do so, and I enjoyed doing it and actually listening to it, which was nice. Um, and then you've got your new one as well, Attack of the Killer Objects. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to for more coming because um, there's, you know, there's a lot of those sort of films and, and they're weird films. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what, what films you do about them, uh, about killer objects. Uh, yeah, I've got some great things coming down the pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> but, but as usual, we will. We'll talk about your podcasts um, a little bit later on um, because obviously now we've got to get into um, talking about the thing um really? I, I mean I watched it again for like the the millionth time last night and I I literally never get bored of this film uh yeah it is my favorite John Carpenter film actually yes mine too I I completely uh, agree with you it's also John Carpenter's favorite movie of his own yep it is and do you know what that's one of my facts so you got it early so there we go. <laughs> Scratch that one off. Scratch that one off already. Um, <laughs> um, I've read a lot of academic horror books. So oh, there's okay. a lot of knowledge in Snuggin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you know you 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 know you know a lot more than what I do. I tell you because most of it goes in my brain and lasts about two minutes. Um, so 
as usual on these podcasts, uh, whether I have a guest or, or not, one of the things I, I'd like to start with is getting pretty much right into it with what Google tells you about the film. So a research team finds an alien being that has fallen from the sky and it, <laughs> and it starts to hunt them down. Things take a sinister turn when they realise that the creature can take the shape of its victims. And that's Google. Um, Google really likes to simplify things. <laughs> yeah, I just love it. I just love that the research team finds an alien being that has fallen from the sky. It's um, they uh-huh. they just have the most basics, don't they? Um, yeah, super basic. It, it is fun, but one of the obviously the you know the main things that I like doing is giving my spin. Uh, where's a definitely more in depth version of what happens uh, in the film. So at any point, uh, if you want to talk uh, Anastasia about the, the scenes that I'm going through, please do jump in and we can sort of get more in depth on on what goes on in in those scenes and anything like that. Love it. Um, so <laughs> the. That the film uh, it opens with an amazing title reveal made from lights, fire, and a black bin bag, which is true. I watched a, like a like a YouTube channel on how they made it, and uh, apparently that's how they did it. Sometimes it's just the simplest things. You know? Exactly. But then we see some fuckers shooting at a dog. Surely there is no reason for them to kill a dog, right? Which we you know in films we all hate that. Sure, there's a website devoted to it. Does the dog <laughs> I've never heard of it, but I do now. And are I are you serious? I've never heard of it. Look, I, I, I can just, I can just I feel- like birdie get online. <laughs> um, on our podcast, we mention it all the time, especially. Oh, really? oh yeah, especially if there's an episode where in the film a creature dies, we we tell you off the bat, just so you know. Yeah, like so- you know, forewarning adults. Yeah, nobody. Die. Yeah, like nobody gives a shit about the characters that are no. going to die. You need to know that a cat dies. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> it's so true. Like, I get so pissed off if it happens. And then I'm like, it just like ruins the film. <laughs> it's sort of, I don't know, it's like as bad as it is. And I'm probably a horrible per- person for saying it, but it like sort of serves a purpose. Oh, so I mean, it, it does. It does. Yeah. Um, it does. <laughs> so there we go. So uh, we so we finally see the beautiful and bearded Kurt Russell, who can't beat a computer at chess. So he's like, fuck it. And, and you know, pours his drink down it. That beautiful by the way, man. that computer voice is voiced by Adrian Barbeau, who was married to John Carpenter at the time. Correct. Didn't write that in my facts, but I read about it. Um, but yeah, uh, which is another cool little thing uh, about this movie. Um, but yeah, that just little little thing, you know, for horror fans out there. Well, I mean, she was in Creep Show and The Fog. Yeah, she's a bona fide scream queen. She is. She, you know, there's no recognition there around the world for her. Swamp Thing. She's in Swamp Thing too. Yeah, I love Swamp Thing. That's such a classic. So, so the dumb, so then the dumb hel- helicopter motherfuckers pretty much blow themselves up uh, before one of them gets taken down. Um, so already at this point, you know, all this stuff has happened, and you're already sort of like, what the hell is going on, or what's going to happen? Yeah. Uh, so the film goes on this steady path of introducing characters, uh, which I'll get into a little bit more later when we talk about the film. Uh, the dog, who is a character itself, is roaming the halls willy nilly. Uh, you know, which is, you know, which is mental, you know, they've, they, they've got this random dog um, and all the others are locked up, but this one can just do what the fuck it wants. 
for, from this point, the film starts setting the tone for what's to come, uh, where they go to the Norwegian's pad and it's all fucked up. There's an axe in the wall. Uh, some, someone's killed themselves. There's an ice pit and there's some crispy mangled bodies all fried up. You know, what, what the shit has gone on there, basically? Not just fried up, but mutated and deformed. Yeah, like it's, it's proper mangled, um, which always makes me laugh that scene because it's sort of like, Kurt Russell, I mean, he doesn't, <laughs> Kurt Russell's so like blase in this film where like nothing bothers him. So like you've got all this shit on the floor and he's pretty much just like, oh, there's some dead bodies. I love the consistent nihilistic tone of this film. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's just, it's, yeah, you're right. It has that constant, this constant tone uh, where like, yeah, nothing phases Kurt Russell in this movie whatsoever. So then they take one of the ugly manky bodies for inspection. Um, and let's just say it's not photogenic <laughs> at all. It looks like Pablo Picasso painted yes. it with a little bit of Salvador Dali. So, so now they've had enough of the dog walking about, so they lock him up. But that's obviously a big fucking mistake. So this is now where the film goes next level batshit crazy. So the dog's head comes apart and then there's tentacles and spider legs and goop and blood. And then the other dogs in there are going fucking balmy. But then it grows <laughs> arms. So then they have to light that fucker up with, with a flamethrower. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I love this scene. It's just such, it's like, just comes out of the blue, this sort of scene. Um, you know, one minute, as I say, the dog's this walking around. Some- this uh, because because again who cares about the human characters yeah this is the roughest scene because you feel for those other dogs that aren't already infected that's it especially when like as well like because obviously mcgreedy sort of does that the right thing where he puts the dog out of his misery and you know he shoots one of the dogs and stuff that's like getting strangled and stuff and then the um the guys all like no and trying to like sort of take uh kurt russell down but he done it for the right reasons but yeah, you're right. It's um, it, that this seems like a tough one to watch because you know you don't want anything to happen with the dogs, and as soon as that dog goes in there, you're like, oh, <laughs> you're like they're all fucked. Damn it. Yeah, yeah, you know that's it. So after this, um, they find a bloody massive spaceship, um, and who'd have thunk it? Because you know it's been there for a few years. Uh, now it's uh, time to start figuring shit out using state of the art computer technology that basically tells you that you're all fucked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and now we get the first in the group that gets alien fucked who legs it. Um, they catch up just in time to see his manky hands and then fry him up, which is which I love this scene as well because I love I love the sort of the sounds that they're using for his for his voice. Um, well, like you know, he's he's sort of scream, so to speak. It's just so like there's something really like fucking haunting about it. And then McCready has to be like, you guys, that he was just that was one of those things he yeah. was just imitating him yeah i mean look at the hands <laughs> yeah exactly like as if like they just turn around and go oh he's, he's i'm sure he's fine but he's, his hands are a little bit weird i don't know <laughs> yeah like you know <laughs> you know and then mcgreedy's standing like are you fucking kidding me like guys at, that's not for us but yeah like no one no one you know has vocal cords like that in human life yeah right jesus um so, so obviously at that point they sort of they sort of start getting it and imitation is the game so who's going to be next um well blair goes nuts so they have to beat his ass and lock him up the poor bloke um, by the way yeah um i don't know if you're aware of this 
because I know it was a commercial in America, but yeah. I don't know if the meme spread over to the UK. Uh, but so the the actor, the character, the wonderful character actor who plays Blair, Wilford Brimley, back in, I don't know, I guess the late to mid 2000s, uh, he did a commercial for, I think, the American Diabetes Foundation or something like that. Right. Where he announces that he was uh, diagnosed with the diabetes back in <laughs> back in alt four and he says it diabetes with oh so the way he says it it's yeah it's it's yeah that the way he says it is what is memed across the universe <laughs> um and so when i saw him minus the walrus mustache that he normally has in his later years that's all i could think about this whole movie now that it's fucking commercial diabetes diabetes yes. diabetes yes diabetes <laughs> <laughs> that's it you sort of like also I, I can imagine like you hoping that he actually says it in the films and then it's like like a drinking game like as soon as he does it that's it <laughs> if he had said that in this movie i would have lost it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so they lock him up um at this point um so they have to really start thinking about how they sort out you know who's fucked and, and who's human so they need to do a test using blood but some silly goose has destroyed the blood bag so what next you know they probably have an argument before the curly head fuck runs off um he's got to be one of them right um he's like that guy is like my least favorite character in this movie because i think you're supposed to because he's just a dick you know walking around with his fucking jason patrick shades he's got a punchable face yeah that's right i literally said that when i was watching it last night i was just like i want to punch him in the face so bad (laughs) but then (laughs) i know i thought to myself imagine being stuck with him like he's like they must have beaten up a few times that's probably why he's so pissed off (laughs) Um, (laughs) so 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 now mcgrady is pissed so it's go time um, who is who anymore? Nobody trusts anybody anymore. So much so um, that it's starting to try and um, frame him. They all think it's him, but no one can stand the might of Russell's beard. So don't even try shit. I will mention his beard so much as well because it's beautiful. Um, <laughs> it is a beautiful beard that took him a year to grow out. Oh, man. What a beautiful year worth of a beard. Yeah. What a good, what a good use of a year. <laughs> um, he did nothing else apart from he's walking around i don't know if he was with, with, with goldie horn back then but he's walking around and she's like do you want to go out and he's just like oh, I, I would but I'm gro- i've got to grow my beard um, <laughs> i think i think they were together by this point yeah like imagine if it was like he had made a film and it's just like oh you you you're you know you've won the oscar and he's just like oh, uh, my beard i've got to grow it i've got to grow it for a year i'm, I'm going nowhere that's his commitment He's, to the role. He says uh, in the no, it's it's years. It's a couple years later and he has to thank the beard in the Oscar in the Oscar speech. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, so now they um, they have a massively important scene in the movie um, and obviously in horror in general. Um, this is where the dog gets his arms ripped off by some dude's stomach and then starts spitting out goop, um, which then goes, you know, massive. His head sort of grows up to the ceiling. Um, then his head rips off and then turns into an alien spider thingy who tried to sneak right off. Um, so but, let's, yeah. talk about, let's talk about the chest scene. Uh, yes. Where you're literally, you know, trying to resuscitate a person. 
those type things on the and then it just opens up like a bear trap and it's so unexpected um you know it's it just shows the filmmaking talents of of john carpenter which we will talk about later as well but it's just i would i would owe that particular scene almost more to the uh sfx team yes yeah absolutely absolutely like rob bought in and and you know yeah um, because honestly a lot of his ideas uh he when he first floated them by carpenter carpenter looked at him like are you fucking insane <laughs> and then he showed a few to them and he, like carpenter came around to the idea but he wasn't sold on it at first no no i mean i will speak about robot in later but i think his his force and everything he did is so apparent in this movie um totally so but important. i want to get back to the chest though the reason i brought yes. it up was you know this was just off the heels really of alien which also has a disturbing scene with a chest classic chest burster scene yeah <laughs> but yeah exactly so I, I, if anything around this time i wouldn't trust any chest in a sci-fi film <laughs> no that's it like you know that as soon as you see somebody lying down you're like there's there's some fucking shit gonna come out this guy's chest now yep it's not like, safe it. this is a sci-fi horror film there's that's no it. way that chest is safe <laughs> <laughs> exactly. rule. that chest is getting fucked that's, yeah. that's it yeah exactly um, so then after you've got this scene it's time for the for the classic sort of blood test um but not before McGreedy kills someone um, in this super intense scene. Um, you know, we go through, you know, everything in this scene, um, you know, and obviously they do it. He's going through all their blood individually where we find out obviously he actually straights up murders someone um, and just shoots him in the head. And he turns out not to be a thing. Now, to be fair, to be fair. Yeah. The man he killed had a knife in his hand yeah like you can't say like he and was slowly inching towards him when his back was turned yeah yeah i'm saying in mccready acted in self-defense yeah exactly like in a court of law i'm sure (laughs) um, (laughs) i'm sure uh you know he probably would have been acquitted (laughs) i'm look i got your back mccready all right yeah exactly yeah (laughs) and also like he stressed it took him a year to grow his beard (laughs) um (laughs) doesn't want to lose it in a gory mess just yet no exactly um so yeah so he's just basically murdered someone uh so who's the infected one or are they all infected well it turns out um that it's the stoner dude which is even more messed up because sort of he's tied up in the middle of some of the others and they're literally shitting their pants um while while all these flappy hands and his mouth is going mental um, and then it tries starting gobbling down the curly head fuck, which I was actually quite happy about. Yeah. Um, and then in that face. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And um, and then obviously they all get torched as well. Um, and at this point, really, they, it's where sort of the film is sort of ramping it all up and they're sort of dropping like flies. Um, once again, another scene in the film that to me is like perfect. It has has every element that you need in, in a movie. Um so now the plan is essentially set we're sort of getting to the end of what the film is um the thing wants to freeze um but mcgreedy yeah of course very quickly rewind a bit yes 
I'm now convinced that that magnificent beard is what brought Goldie Hawn to the yard. Yeah. Because they started dating in on Valentine's Day, 1983. That's like just after this movie came out. It is. It is. So that's what happened. That's it. She saw the beard and then she saw the beard and it was because he's a man with commitment, you know, like. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, he, he grew the beard for a year and she's just like, wow, he, he was so dedicated and so committed to growing a beard <laughs> for a year. She can, he can be that committed to me. Um, Absolutely. And then hey, years they're later. still together. Exactly. It worked. So there you go. Grow a beard for a year. You can have, you can get whoever you want and spend the rest of your life with them. <laughs> and that's life. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yes yeah, so the plan is set um and uh, they want to freeze but mcgreedy has other ideas and will not obviously let that happen because he's the hero of the story um so with the help of the remaining crew um they light the place up um so it's time to make the place a little bit toasty but guess what blair bloody idiot he's one he's one um all along you know obviously we knew it um and he goes full stealth mode taking the ones left out one by one um, McGreedy is ready to blow this shit up, but not before the thing shows itself as some messed up version of what it's tried to mimic. Um, Kurt Russell does this sweet little roly poly, um, which I always love. Um, <laughs> and then he says, fuck you too, which is, you know, a classic line, um, which, you know, they might've been able to come up with something a little bit better at that point, but, uh, and then that's it. And then he throws some dynamite and then he blows his balls off and the rest, uh, <laughs> the rest of, um, everything else and the whole sort of uh, base and everything around them blows up um and then it cuts to mcgreedy sort of still alive and he's absolutely fucking knackered after everything that's that's gone down um but then he's joined by charles um and then they have a nice little chat in the cold while the heat's still going and then the movie ends on them just waiting it out on this perfect and ambiguous ending which i um, well, obviously, hundred percent speak about a little bit later because of the possibilities, and that is. Oh, I have things to say too. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's, uh, but that that's it. That is essentially my version of what happens in the thing. You know, just a little bit more detailed than what Google gives you. Uh, a lot more detailed than what Google gives yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I did miss out that the spaceship falls from the sky. Um, so they beat me on that one. But other than that, a little bit more detailed. <laughs> so um, let's let's get into sort of the information um, about the film itself um, that I've got. So IMDb, uh, they have it currently at 8.2% um, on there, which is really, really high. Um, I always say, well, you know, once you start getting to 8%, then you're getting into films that are universally, you know, enjoyed. Um, because although, normally they normally rate things like shit. Sure, although critically panned when it first came out. Ab absolutely, yeah. Um, Rotten Tomatoes have it sitting at 83%, so it's pretty much sort of bang on, really, with, with both of them, which is quite rare to see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but the film is released in 19, uh, 1982, and it's directed, obviously, by the, the master of horror himself, John Carpenter. And the film stars... This, I've got a long list here, so it's going to take a while. <laughs> Kurt Russell as McGreedy. Uh, we've got Wilford Brimley as Dr. Blair. T.K. Carter as Knowles. Is, is it pronounced Knowles? I can't remember how they say it in the film, but it's something like Knowles. No, that's it, Knowles. Uh, David Cl uh, Clen Clennon as Palmer. 
Keith David as Childs. And by um, the way, that was Keith David's first major film role. That yeah, it is he because everything he'd done beforehand was all stage work. Yeah, he was um, a he, classically trained theater actor. He was, and he actually beat off like quite a lot of of you know real talent for that role. So fair fair fucking play to him, you know. And then he ends up in They Live with Rowdy Roddy Piper doing one of the best fight scenes of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Such a ridiculous epic fight scene. Oh, I love literally, it. that is. I, I I watch that film for that scene just so much. Right, um, it's so, so we, cheesy and wonderful. It's so good. Um, <laughs> so then we have Richard Dystart uh, as Doctor Copper, who uh, is also probably. I don't know if this is a fact, but I'm going to say it's a fact. He's probably the oldest gentleman on a film to have a nose ring. Charles Hallahan as Norris, Peter Mahoney as Bennings, Richard Mesa or Masur or whatever, I always get names wrong, everybody knows by now, as Clark, Donald Moffat uh, as Gary, um, Joel Polis, I'm going to say it like this because it's funny, as Fox, and uh, Thomas G. Waits as Windows, uh, the guy I want to punch in the face. Gore was by, uh, I will literally get this name wrong, is Ennio Morricone wrong, but that's who did the score. Ennio Morricone. Yeah, that's, I wasn't far off. Um, and then obviously I, I do a special mention for the legendary cinematographer Dean Cundy. Uh, obviously he's a, a common collaborator with John Carpenter on so many of his films. And another special mention to Rob Bottin, who I'll speak, to, uh, speak about a little bit more later. So the, uh, the budget for the film was 15 million and basically made nearly 20 million. So not great. I mean, so like, so like, you know, many of the classics at the time and, you know, they didn't make too much at the box office, but it wasn't like a massive failure. But the biggest thing for me, like you um, mentioned a little bit earlier, which I was completely unaware of, um, is that it, it somehow received like really negative reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, which for me, I, I think he's like insane. Uh, yeah, I, I, when I was reading about it, I genuinely didn't know. I just thought that this film, because I love this film so much, and like pretty much anybody I talk to loves this film. I just yeah, genuinely it, it thought... took a while to hit that cult status, though. This, I can't remember what the name of the magazine was, but this one magazine named it the worst film of all time in the mid eighties. No way. Like what? Yeah, that's insane. Like I, I sit there watching it and now, like when I watched it last night and I was doing sort of the, this sort of prep and stuff, that like shocked me to my core. I got the fucking like shivers. Like, <laughs> like I, was, I, was, I was like having a fever because I was just like how, like everybody's entitled to their own opinion. But, but, but that's mental that this film came out and, you know, box office wise, it wasn't the greatest hit, you know, but for, for uh, you know, with these classics, you get so many of them that don't make much money, but critically, you know, they've done well, you know, with with the audience and critics and, you know, festivals. But yeah, this one didn't. And I was like, that's, that's just fucking mental. It blew my mind. Um, but obviously, over the years, it has obviously been um, more, it's become more successful uh, and important. And it's always on the list now for the best horrors or film in general of all time. And obviously, so it should be. So at this point, normally I would jump into sort of how we feel about the film. Um, but for now, I just sort of want to talk about 
the different aspect aspects of the movie in a little bit more detail for what I know and what under I understand and I'm sure you do as well because you know you know so much about it you probably know more about this film than me um but I think it sort of deserves sort of a, a little bit more in-depth discussion before we go into anything else um because sure, sure. there's so much in this film that's integral to how it work works which once again makes me absolutely so confused as to how it got such bad bad reviews and so on so i mean we might as well talk about sort of john carpenter a little bit um before we we go into anything else um because as you said um earlier on but so this is this is my favorite john carpenter movie um and as you said it, it is yours as well it is um this is like the definition of like john carpenter's talents um you know for what for what he does so well in movies um yes because you can think of him in sense of he's like three different directors in one he is a yes. horror director he is an yeah. action movie director and he's a sci-fi director yes and this yeah. movie is all three yeah exactly and he and we talk about the characters a little bit but that's one thing that john carpenter has always been so good at is is creating um you know not only the, you know a world for these characters to live in that feels real um but creating characters that are also real you know he he just does such a good job in no matter what film you sort of think of you know uh, and so many of his films are so different that's what i love you know everybody just lumps him into the whole you know horror director thing but you just look at the films he's done and yeah they're horrors but it's sort of like every one of them is different that's what also makes the thing so good um is is his full understanding of what he's you know he's trying to depict you know he like he put he, it's like he has a full understanding of what he's trying to do and how to achieve it um, which he does on pretty much all of his films, no matter how fucking weird they are. They are all John Carpenter movies. Um, yeah. and, and one of the other cool things as well, um, what I love about this film, and and I do, there's a little story um, that I really like about John Carpenter, and I have said it before on one of the, um, uh, an old podcast as well, but I love how the end result of the movie um, is the most important thing to John Carpenter, no matter what it means. And I, what I love about this film is that knowing that John Carpenter could have just done the soundtrack to it, um, but oh, yeah. he didn't. Um, I just think that's such a cool decision that he sort of made to, to get somebody else to do something. Because, like, and I, I to be honest, I'm sort of to blame for this as well, but when I first sort of started seeing... Uh, like interviews with John Carpenter when I was younger like I felt like he was quite big-headed and like quite had quite a big ego but as I've got older I've realized like he's the absolute opposite of that and he's, he's actually really self-conscious about his yes. work yeah yeah you're exactly he's just so he just he just cares about the work and the film and you know, if it means that somebody else does the score to it, um, because it's right for the film. So um, there was oh, a, exactly yeah. So there was a story um, that um, 
and this was one of the eye openers really for for me for John Carpenter was um when he made they did the reboot or remake or whatever you want to call it for Halloween that they did and um David Gordon Green the director of it would go and speak to John Carpenter quite a lot and do dailies and stuff like that with him obviously he was getting John Carpenter to to do the soundtrack for it and obviously the soundtracks for for the newer Halloween films are amazing and um, in and and spoke to John Carpenter about putting some some score some music to this scene, and he instead of turning around and being like, oh, you know, I'm John Carpenter, I can do this and so on like that, he literally told David Gordon Green after he watched the scene, he said, um, don't put any music to this. This this scene will play itself and work on its own without anything, and that just goes to show, like how he doesn't have that ego that I thought he had and how he genuinely cares so much about how the film works as a piece. Um, uh, yeah, knowing when music will be appropriate for a scene and when uh, punctuated silence is important is huge because a yeah. lot of people don't know that. Uh, I would say famously an example of weird usage of mu music would be um that first suicide squad movie yes it it was entirely it was like you were watching apocalypse now because all the music was like 70s vietnam era yeah. songs and it was like why is this in a superhero movie this is so weird yeah yeah that movie's fucking terrible by the way <laughs> yeah i did it i really enjoyed the newer one um but the first one is it the one with jared leto yeah, the one with Jared Leto's fucking awful. He's so shit. And he's fucking awful as a Joker as well. So if anybody's listened to this and likes Jared Leto as a Joker, um, you, you fucking lost it. Um <laughs> also, we've both met him and he's yeah. a tool. Yeah, he's a douche. Um <laughs> and I, do you know what I fucking hope he listens to this? Like, no, like just randomly listens to it. It's gonna go like viral for for slagging Jared Leto off, and he's gonna fucking hate it and and come what? after me. Look, I don't want to be sued for libel, but a friend right. of mine was talking about how he seems to be predatory towards teenage girls. And let me just say, when I saw him in a uh, concert for yeah. 30 Seconds to Mars, and I was like 17, and I was front row, he stared mm. at me the whole fucking time. Jared and Leto. it was creepy. Jared Leto, you dirty bastard. But then yeah. at the same time, you know, the dude's 50 and he looks like he's in like in his 20s. So if I look like that at his age, I'd be pretty happy. Um, I mean, he's drinking the blood of virgins. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's it. That is it. That's how he's doing it. You've heard it here. Fucking hell. I hope this, I hope this never gets as far as him, I tell you. Uh, bring it on, Jared. <laughs> bring it on, Jared. Um, yeah, although I remember when he tried to find Elijah Wood, so he obviously... precious part of American culture. We must protect him at all costs. <laughs> yes, exactly. I will I will protect you, Elijah. If if you ever need anyone to protect you against Jared Leto, um, give us give me, give me us a call and we will do yeah. it for you. Gladly. And if, and if either of us are ever single, you know, just call me. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, Elijah Wood, you can call me whenever you want. I mean, um, his horror movie loving heart is what gets my blood plumping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
also as well i would like to mention that in as much as because i'm going to throw something in there with jared leto as much as we've sort of gone on in on him and said that he's a douchebag um i'm a really big fan in regards to his like his early work of movies i think he's a fantastic actor and i really do like 30 seconds to mars so it's not like all glo- you know doom and gloom where we're like this guy's a douche and he does nothing good i genuinely but really like him as an artist clearly clearly i stood in line and stood front and center at a concert for a shitty band that played before them so I could be front and center for them. Yeah. And my two favorite movies of all time just happened to have him in it. Absolutely. So that would be Fight Club and Requiem for a Tree. Exactly. Jared Leto, you are a very talented man, but stop preying on young women. Um, <laughs> so that's that's John Carpenter. Um, we all know him. We all know how integral he is to horror. But this film is is his is his best, and it's perfect and it's masterful. Um, but one of the other things I, I do want to talk about is is cinematography as well. Um, you know, if you if you listen to the podcast or you go on sort of my Instagram and stuff or my YouTube, um, you know, acting and filmmaking is what I always wanted to do with my life and still is um it may it may happen it may not but life um but um but i cinematography is something that's really sort of important to me i I, you know the visual element of of films is is integral um to me and i definitely when i watch films unfortunately overanalyze films and um i love this film and i love dean cundy um because i absolutely adore his use of or the way that he looks at using widescreen, wide-angle lenses and so on. Um, sure, and this is a great film for that too. Yeah. Um, you know, this one, and obviously he worked on on Halloween as well. Um, every time I watch, obviously, Halloween, those, but Thing. Oh, those long shots where yeah. she's walking and he's like just around the corner of the yeah. bush are brilliant. Exactly. And then the scene. And I on. don't even like Halloween. <laughs> oh, really? See, that's it. I just honestly I, I mean, don't. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I love I love Harold at Halloween, um, but I just it's just one of those films where you can see, you know, with it obviously being a film that's so low budget and so on, you can see that this is a filmmaker with genuinely, you know, a real talent. And when you yeah, have people absolutely. like Dean, Dean Cundy um, with, you know, with you to help. Um, you know, you make a full a small film look like a million dollars, you know, um, and that's what the thing does. Obviously, he got, you know, a lot bigger budget than he he ever had on on Halloween with this. But um, it was good it was to one see. of his biggest budgets, I believe. Yes. And then obviously afterwards, uh, not so much. <laughs> um, sure. but, um, but yeah, uh, Dean Cundy, that's why I wanted to speak about that, because I, you know, he's another one where it's behind the scenes. They don't in horror. It might be a name that a lot of you horror fans out there don't know so much about. But I would encourage you to to look into what uh, work he has done, because if you are watching Halloween or The Thing or anything like that or The Fog and you're thinking this film looks fucking amazing, then we've got not only John Carpenter to thank, but Dean Cundy as well. Yeah, I appreciate um, all aspects of the filmmaking. Exactly. Um, and then one of the other things I have to talk about is the characters of this film. Um, one, there is so many, but it's and like... And you know, they cut it down from how many are in the novel. Oh, really? In the novel, there's like twice as many. They Jesus had to simplify Christ. it. <laughs> and 
I think what I love about this film is that it doesn't feel clogged up like with people at all. Um, And not only do I feel like the characters, all of them have a purpose of being there, um, but they're so act like they're acted so well, like each person brought something to that character and they're all different. Um, You know, if you start from sort of the top, you know, quickly, you've got obviously Kurt Russell, um, where there's not a scene in this film pretty much, apart from, you know, when shit really hits the fan, where he's not drinking some some form of booze. Um, so, you know... Well, we know how he feels about his job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, he's definitely, you know, an alcoholic, um, <laughs> which he's probably, you know, he's probably so warm on the inside from all the whiskey. That's probably what kept him alive for so long. Um but yeah, so and you I know, mean, it makes you feel warm, but it doesn't yeah. actually warm you. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. so we have our science right, people. Yeah, science is science. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wilford Brimley, obviously, he was do- uh, Dr. Blair. I think, you know, as you said, he's a great character actor and, and he was really, really good in this film. Um, you know, I like the scene in it where he's sort of saying, Oh, I'm fine now, you know, stuff like that, because you're like, you, you know, part of you is like, Is he or is he not? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, uh, TK Carter is Nord. You know, the first time you see him, um, he's going around on his roller boots, which is fucking cool. David Clennon is was... Palmer. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Can I just say the first thing that I noticed? And maybe this is being a skating rink rat as a child, but my immediate thought was he just has those shitty rented skates. Like, <laughs> those aren't speed skates, those aren't nice skates. No. Those like, are the two dollar rental skates. That's it. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's it. That was all the budget they had. That was it. They just, I reckon, like like uh, John Carpenter just like went into a skate rink and just stole them or something, and then brought them to set. And he was just like, oh, I've, I've I've got these. Are they good? Yeah, they're really good. They're 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 pretty much the best you can buy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Top notch. That's it. Um, David Clennon, obviously, he was Palmer. Um, but I, so there's a scene um, in this, well, like two sort of scenes that come really closely to each other, and I laugh my ass off every time. And it's when they're um, they're talking about like going to do something, and then Palmer's uh, says about how he'd go and do it, and then they're all like really quick to like shut him down, and then he's just like, oh, I mean, you know, thanks for thinking about it. Um, I love the way he delivers that line like so deadpan yeah um, it's just it's just like comedy gold but then straight after that you go into a scene where Kurt Russell's like out um you know in in this harsh weather like looking inspecting his helicopter and they're like oh McGrady we're gonna we're gonna take the uh the, take it out and he sort of doesn't say anything apart from like look up at the sky and then looks back at him mm-hmm. and uh I just love that whole sort of like three minutes where I'm like laughing my head off <laughs> but obviously Palmer was a big part of that Keith David obviously we spoke about you know plays a massive part of this film um as Childs he's he's great um Dr Copper he's really good um obviously uh you know gets his arms rip, ripped off and has an, an, a beautiful nose ring um but yeah you know the list goes on it's just um even the little characters in it that you don't really see so much like Fuchs or Fucks as I call him um he I love the scene where he you know he's like the, you know obviously you know the, the clever one and he's sitting there and he tells uh McGreedy you know we should all um you know get our own food and eat out of tins and cans and so on so you know he's clever and you know once again he's adding that sort of extra level of 
of uh, information for you as a viewer to the film and then obviously he dies um but also that extra layer of paranoia on top of that which yeah. the movie only intensifies as it goes on absolutely and it's just so i think you know that's really what i was trying to get out was the, the characters they don't clog the film up they just feel real in this environment that is real um it's, but it's just got a big fucking alien going around so during filming they actually had a lot of time on set off camera to like hang out and get to know each other really right. well so that that camaraderie that they have is natural because they've it's actual camaraderie nice yeah. yeah, and that's nice to hear as well, isn't it? Like, there was no, like, major things going on and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, that, that's a great way of doing it, especially, you know, knowing that, you know, beyond this film and the realms of what you're watching, you know, they're all sort of cooped up there together and and so on. Um, and then the last thing I sort of want to talk about it before we get into um, about how we feel about the film, um, which obviously most people will know by now anyway, but we can fucking tell them again because we can do what we want. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the special effects. Um, so the reason that I talk about it, because once again, um, it's, it's, it's important, but Rob, um, Rob Bottin, um, he is the man um, behind the special effects on this movie. Um, most of them, but I'll get into that as well. Um, but the reason I just want to say it is because I just can't, every time I watch this film, like for me, so this is, there are some films obviously out there with the most amazing visual effects, uh, you know, that you can get and practical effects and so on that you can get, you know, you know, the fly, the exorcist, you know, all the absolute sort of classics um, that mean so much to us sort of horror fans. And obviously I don't think, a light is shined on enough on special effects artists and the stuff that goes on behind, you know, we talk about the actors, we talk about the performances, we talk about the directors, but you know, the reason these films are so good is because of people like Rob Bottin. Um, and I, even last night when I was watching this film, not only do I get like the whole nostalgia trip of, I remember watching this as a kid and being fucking blown away by how it, how good it is. Um, even last night watching it, I, I just, I, it's so good, the effects in this movie, um, that it just, it just, it's insane that what he did for this film. My partner is a movie fan in general, you yes. know, but doesn't like to watch movies that are past a certain age, you know? Right, okay. So, I, you know, and I've shown him a lot of a lot more horror films than he would normally have ever watched, yeah. right? Because um, that's what happens when you shack up with a horror movie buff. You end up <laughs> watching yeah. way more horror than you ever thought you'd ever want to. Yeah. Um. So as as a result, he had actually seen the thing before, and I wanted to put it on one night, and he goes, "Please don't." <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, why? Why do you? Why do you not like that movie? And he was like, "Well, the special effects are just awful." And I'm like, do you realize how groundbreaking these special effects are for the time and like how yeah. great they are as practical effects? And he's like, I don't care about that. They look bad now. And it really made me realize that people who just watch movies for fun and aren't like crazy film heads like we yeah. are. Uh, just so you put, at, 
so then you uh put yourself in isolation and grew a beard for a year <laughs> yeah right well i mean i <laughs> and i just I, i've never put it into thought that oh wait there are people who like don't even consider yeah. the work and the groundbreaking is for the time they're just like it looks bad now i don't care yeah yeah it broke i died a little inside <laughs> yeah you're like yeah you're like you're I'm, I'm spending my life with you and this is this is what you've done <laughs> look at what you've done there's a dagger right here man right yeah. In heart. <laughs> but yeah i mean you're right it's um it's one of those isn't it like i speak to a lot of of people and i've been so fortunate with the conversations that i've been able to have all over the world because of this this podcast and the channel and everything and i'm so grateful um but it's so interesting to the to all the different views and opinions and types of horrors or the way that they watch them like like you're saying um that people do you know like i i like i said i'm so overly critical of films that when i watch films my brain is like going a thousand beats per minute you know like i'm like oh this shot looks amazing or this shot looks shit or the music doesn't seem right there and i can't really like fully enjoy a film by just watching it and going i'm just watching a film for fun so um, yeah I, I get that as a film critic um i usually watch it once for fun yeah. I clear my brain out, watch the first time. I don't take any notes. I don't have any, you know, laptops or phones near me. I just watch it and absorb it. And then I watch it again the next day after I've had time to chew on it and think about it. And then I start noticing other things and then I give my final analysis. And that's the only way I could still enjoy film and do what I do. So I had to do something to like break things up, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a good way of doing it. I um for years and years I've just felt like there has to be a better way of me doing it but then also I like I think it's because of like for me like films are homework to me like like I said with acting and filmmaking and stuff like they are homework to me so I think that's like it's now ingrained in my brain that whenever I watch a film I have to I watch it and then I take from it what I do um, where yeah. recently I have watched so many films where I am like this is the biggest pile of shit I've seen for a long time and then I'll speak to somebody and I'll be like they'll be like oh did you see this film and I'll be like yeah no it was it was shit and they're like oh I fucking love that film <laughs> yeah this um you know this film is uh is a perfect one for, for, for me so um but obviously I'll move on for, from that now but there's some facts about this film that I've been able to get out. Cause I like to put the facts in because um, some people know them like yourself. You'll probably know all of them anyway. Um, and I, I, sometimes I learn the odd bit, um, but you know, anybody listening to it who, who likes the thing might want to know a little bit more. So why not? Um, so Absolutely. number, number one that I've got is the, the makeup effects icon Stan Winston worked on the film, but he was uncredited. So the making of the thing was, by all accounts, a physically grueling process, um, especially for, uh, as we mentioned, Rob Bottin, who did the effects for the movie. Um, by the end of the film, Bottin succumbed to exhaustion uh, and had to be hospitalised. Um, he also had double pneumonia and a bleeding ulcer. So, like, I feel, you know, what a poor bloke. Uh, and in order to finish the creature effects the film needed, um, Bottin enlisted the help of Stan Winston, but Stan would uh, stay uncredited as this, as he would say, was Rob's movie. So fair play to Stan Winston, um, another absolute icon of uh, of special effects. Um, but 
yeah, it is Rob Bottin's movie, but you know, they got it done with the help of Stan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, number two. So Kurt Russell almost killed himself with a stick of dynamite. Uh, Russell threw an actual stick of dynamite during the scene toward the end of the film. Um, he did not, however, anticipate it being so powerful. Uh, Russell was literally blown up backwards after the device detonated. Um, and this was the take that was left in the movie. So luckily, he didn't do a roly poly into it because otherwise we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't have seen him after that, I don't think. And that would be a shame because then I would have never have gotten death proof. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, an alternate ending was filmed just in case where McReady survives. He gets taken away. He does a blood test, which he passes and lives happily ever after. Luckily, we didn't get this ending. Um, the studios were really pushing for a less nihilistic ending, but yeah. Carpenter stuck to his guns. Thank and God. I'm glad he did. Yeah. Thank God. Um, number four, Tobe Hooper was originally chosen as director, um, which is it's interesting. Toby. Yeah, Toby, that's it. Toby Hooper, Toby, Tobe, Toby Hooper. God, no, I, I can't do names. But either way, he was originally chosen as the director, which is, you know, which would have been interesting. Um, uh, especially for that time period. Yes. Toby Hooper was a uh, downswing of... You know, his career had a lot of ups and downs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. His I've covered, yeah, I mean, I've covered two of his films and I've talked oh, really? about him. Oh, yeah, we did Eaten Alive. Okay. And, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right, okay. So one thing I will say, right, is, <laughs> and I ask this all the time uh, of fans of horror, so Poltergeist, yeah. uh, Spielberg or Toby? Or Spielberg. both? Spielberg. Yeah, okay. Cool. I so I, I it's it's interesting because I genuinely thought, do you know what Spielberg? Because obviously, for people who don't know, um, and for what I understand, is that um, there's always been an ongoing discussion about the film Poltergeist, and I won't talk too much a lot about it because obviously this is about the thing. Um, but the Poltergeist uh, movie uh, was directed and obviously credited as directed as by uh, Toby Hooper. Um, but he's the director, but the director. Spielberg came up with the story and he yes. wrote most of the screenplay. Absolutely. And um, the rumor is that essentially because uh, Steven Spielberg was contracted to be making another film at the time. I can't remember what it was. Um, it was probably something like E.T. or something. And he, he was contracted to, to make another film. It which was is why e. it was a, it was E.T. was it. Um, so. He... Which, I'm sorry, but it's actually funny that you bring that up because E.T. played a big role in why the thing yes. wasn't as good Absolutely. to audiences. Yeah, it was. Um, so, yeah, so, so Steven Spielberg really wanted to direct Poltergeist, but was told that he couldn't because he was, wasn't contracted to. So um, he spent a lot of time going back and forth without people knowing to the set of Poltergeist, which is why the film feels so ambling and like Spielberg. Um, it, it feels very Spielberg and yes. feels not a lot like a Hooper film. Yes, and that's why. And I think the more I know about it and more I understand it is when I watch Poltergeist, I feel like now I can actually pick out the scenes that are Spielberg and what is Toby. 
absolutely um, so yeah like I always think to myself the scene where obviously she's in the swimming pool and um the the bodies are going around that are real dead bodies I feel to myself like I don't know if Spielberg would do that but it feels like something and the way that it's shot something that Toby would do um mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's an that's an interesting thing. If you are that's I always say to people to look into that. Um, if you love the film Poltergeist, uh, it's an interesting one. But I always ask people uh, whether they think it was a Spielberg or a Toby uh, Hooper. But I, I'm on I'm on the fence on it. Um, I, right, I'm going to get back to the thing now because I went off topic and I love doing that. That's just the thing <laughs> I do. Um, number five, uh, the poster was created without any knowledge of the film, and it was created in 24 hours. Yep. Um, yep. Number six, the poor box office performance was, like you said, mostly uh, due to it being released the same time as E.T. and Blade Runner. So it didn't really stand a chance, unfortunately. Well, Blade Runner didn't perform well in theatres at the time either. Oh, really? So it was no, just like E.T. E.T. threw it out. E.T. Yeah, E.T. was like, we don't want to see unfamily friendly sci-fi, family friendly sci-fi only this summer. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. Um, and obviously, you know, both both films and obviously all of the films have gone on. But uh, to be fair, actually, I watched The Thing in Blade Runner more than I do E.T. anyway. So, uh, you know, in the long run, who's won? I don't um, even like E.T. Yeah. <laughs> um, fight me, people. Fight you, that's it. Um, <laughs> number seven, the poor performance of the movie impacted on Carpenter immediately. And he actually lost the job of directing the 1984 horror Firestarter. I like it would have been really interesting under um John Carpenter because obviously as we know like he directed Christine as well um which I love Christine because it's a film that really should not work um you know it's a film about a killer car um but it which... I, I, when I watch it it just works I don't know why it does. but because it's John Carpenter he makes it work yeah, yeah. exactly um so I see I feel like as much as I do like Firestarter, it's not one where I'm like, I need to see that again, you know what I mean? But it could have been more with John Carpenter, I think. It may perhaps. But then now now we've got, you know, the new one coming out with Zac Efron. So something to look forward to. Um, as you rightly said earlier as well, number eight is it's uh, John Carpenter's favourite film uh, out of all the films he's done and directed. That's his favourite film uh, that he's made. And rightly so, again... Um, and then number nine, the thing is a remake. Um, so does it make? So does it make it the greatest remake of all time, or um, you know, should it be brought up in more discussions as what is the greatest remake of all time? Because obviously that is a always a conversation that that happens. And it is it's, certainly a contender. Absolutely, it sort of it sort of never comes up when um, people talk about it. Um, but it's whether one, whether people know that it's remake or um, I don't know, or two people don't give a fuck. So. Sure. Well, <laughs> so you could also it. argue that Evil Dead Two is yes. the greatest remake because it's a remake and a sequel kind. Yes, of. exactly. Like you get a double wham- whammy of of brilliant. Yeah. Um, so that is that's pretty much it in regards to you know you've got what google the brilliant amazing synopsis from google as you normally do you get mine that's a little bit more in depth but probably not as good as google's um you know you've got a little bit about the film itself um uh you know some facts so you know there's some for you but 
I really like it when we get to talk about how we feel about the film. So I'll let you go first, Anastasia. How how do you feel about this this well, what I think is a, a perfect movie? Well, as I've said, it is my very favorite John Carpenter film. Um, that said, I'm not a huge John Carpenter fan in his overall over uh, overview of things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. but I do love the move. I do love the films that I love of his intensely. Yes. Um, I think that's another testament, like you're saying, of of how uh, of how good this film is. Really, if if you know you're not, you know, the massive John Carpenter fan that so many sort of people are, and then watch films because it's just him. It it it, it speaks how important this film is, really. Absolutely, because uh, in fact, as I mentioned earlier, like his most famous film is obviously Halloween. Yes. And I loathe Halloween. Oh, really? So what makes you loathe Halloween? I'm going to ask you. Okay, yeah. So I want to know, because it's interesting. I, I love it. I love, this is, this is my favourite thing. Um, and this is like I was saying earlier about the conversations having is that I'm having, I have so many amazing conversations um, about films where I love them and people hate them and vice versa. But that's, I genuinely think this is the best thing. This is why I love films um, because everybody has their so much say, you know, their own interpretation or idea of what the film is and what it is and people like it, but obviously people, you know, uh, should feel their own way about these films so it's amazing i love the fact that you don't like halloween <laughs> okay so here's why i don't like halloween yes um i think it moves too slowly i think the pacing's a little off right i also do not find michael myers scary at all and it gets worse as the series goes on but just oh yeah absolutely the- I mean, it gets comical as the series goes on, if we're being real here. Yeah. But I mean, just on the first film face value, I mean, he doesn't run after you ever. He moves very slowly. That's the slow moving slasher is not scary to me. <laughs> ever has been. Like, if, if you put me in there for real, I'm not going to trip over every little thing no. and turn around and scream like a cat on its belly. Yeah, it's you like know? a film that started so many of the tropes. Yeah, it, it, it has, yeah. He is not scary. And he has a fucking Shatner mask on. <laughs> like, who's scared of William Shatner? Exactly. I'm sorry. Captain Kirk does not scare me, even if it's painted white. I mean, I just like hearing how you don't like halloween it's awesome <laughs> i uh that's that's what but then this is this is the point i'm making like i love halloween i i don't disagree with you in the pace but then at the same time i'm like i do actually like the pace and then you know michael myers being really slow is like something i really like because it's sort of like you don't know where he is or where he's gonna be or what he's gonna do um but then also i understand the whole slowness thing like I mean I'm pretty quick so (laughs) like it's one of those things where like you're saying you know like if I'm running away from Michael Myers he isn't going to catch me unless I trip up a curb or something and then I'm gonna I'm done for and guess what I'm not tripping up a fucking curb if I'm terrified I'm no no, exactly Exactly. I'm I'm turning into Usain Bolt in that moment I'm (laughs) out of here 
And then Michael yeah. Myers is just left in dust going, well, there's Absolutely. one that's got away. Yeah, um, and then Donald Pleasance comes up and is like, back to the asylum, Michael, naughty yeah. boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, this is this is horror. Like, this is this is the genre. This is what I love about it because, um, you know, we get, to have, we get to have these conversations about films uh you know most people know i mean i don't mind saying but most people will know um that like one of the worst films i've seen for ages and got so much fucking heat from um was a, was james one's malignant of last year um, i hated it <laughs> thank god uh yeah i mean i hated it as well um i i got so much fucking stick for that um i mean i don't give a shit because um you know like we're saying like everybody can like whatever film they want and whatever horror floats everybody's boat um but oh, yeah. i Are i people I, shooting out of her halloween oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely not at all <laughs> but i i nearly turned malignant off so did. many times because it's the just i i just i watched it and i just i felt like i was getting stupider the more i watched it um <laughs> and i just felt it was just too far-fetched and it was so hollywood and um i just find the whole um roots of the two directors obviously from the original saw james one and lee wannell i find the direction that they've gone in uh, where it's they're both so different um i find it so interesting like i'm a big lee like, wannell fan yeah i like him much better than james one yeah because i just think he's one of those he's a real director who understands establishing story and character and that's what's important um, yeah. You know, which I think he was obviously the integral driving force for Saw was him um, doing but that. He's, he's also the main character in Saw. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And even though he's acting in that, he's, he's pretty poor. Um, he does an absolute incredible stellar performance in the film Cooties, um, which he... Uh totally agree yeah he's he's my favorite thing about that film um if you haven't seen cooties make sure you do i'm sure most of you horror fans have by now it's another film that is a sort of a love hate uh, i love it and lee wannell's amazing in it. elijah wood in it another yeah elijah wood call back to elijah wood as well you know legend of 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 my life he has been he's been around most of my life so uh what a legend he is um back to the thing yeah so um you know, so, it's, 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 it's cool that you think that it is, you know, you like the film so much, but yet not like John Carpenter so much. Uh, yeah, I think my three John Carpenter films that I really like are The Thing, They Live, yeah. and At the Mouth of Madness. Good old Sam Neill shouting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like those the best. Um, and then everything else is just kind of yeah yeah man i could take it or leave it you know but so with the thing what i like about it the most is that it reminds me in some respects of um sartre uh's no exit which i also have compared the descent to sartre's no exit before but it's in the sense that both of those films take you to a place where there's definite terrible creatures that are definitive monsters that are out to harm you and somehow you're more scared of the other people yeah and the other people are hell which is Sartre's you know other people are hell is Sartre's whole point of no exit 
And it's true in those sense, because, you know, you're all friends or co-workers in both of those films. And by the end of it, you trust no one. And I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like, like you mentioned the descent, you know, the bond and the friendship is so pure and true that they have at the start of the film. And then it's so fucked by the end of it. 100%. Um, the, yeah, the exactly the same with the thing, you know. Um, they're all they're all living there they're all working they're all friends you know well for what we know um and they have uh, to get along because they're literally the only people on the like in that part of the continent yes they're in antarctica absolutely and then and then they're thrown into this unbelievable world of madness that they never thought existed and um and here they are having to uh figure out who out of their friends is is gonna kill them yeah, and you, uh, at that point, you trust no one. Yeah, I just, basically, you just, you know, kill them all and then... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then and then live, you know, and then and then survive on your own as much as, for as long as you can. Which, you know. Yeah. I think it's good at the end that people say it's ambiguous, but I mean, they're going to freeze to death. Yeah. But it's yeah. good that they're going to freeze to death because that means that for the good of the humankind that that alien is going to die there hopefully as long as hopefully. no dumbass comes over and unthaws them yeah yeah exactly well I'll Honestly, start, that's, that's so that's going to be the last question i'm going to ask you so i'll get to that in a minute um, sorry <laughs> no, no no that's fine I, I i always um that's one thing I, another question about this film i always like to ask and i had like a when i first sort of started the podcast um that was like a massive conversation i had with people um about about a question that i'll ask you later which i'm sure you know anyway but um the thing it's um i mean for me as as i've said uh this, this is perfect filmmaking uh for me uh it has every element that you need for a film um it's you know directed incredibly by somebody who fully understands what they're trying to achieve um the sound is great the cinematography is fantastic the performances are some of the best that you're get in a film that's full of so many characters and the special effects are monumental to um to movies not just horror but movies in general you know it, it, it helped create um so much for the future absolutely so um yeah it's just it, the more I think about it, like even now I'm sitting here and I'm not thinking about it. And I literally watched it last night and um, it just it just reminds me like I always when I watch the classics like this, it just sends me on that sort of nostalgia trip when I remember just being a kid and and sitting there and um, and just uh, just in absolute awe. Like the first time I was when I watched Alien, um, you know, and, and so many of the, the classics, you know, where everything is so perfect in this film you i just i just sit there and i'm just i'm as i said i'm in awe like of what's happening i'm so fully engrossed that i feel like i am literally a part of this world that's created i feel like i'm literally there um trying to survive which yeah. is just just the wonder of of this movie and ever since i was a kid you know special effects have always been so important to to me because i just you know the artistry and and, and the, the wonder of how the fuck they did this stuff um is 
incredible and the thing for me has always been like at the forefront of that you know there's so many scenes in this that I sit and go like it just looks amazing like even the whole like you watch so many of these films that have special effects and they do look some of them look bad you know um and even like uh when you've got the scene where obviously the guy you know his arms gets ripped off and the head is going off but even the head that or quite obviously isn't that guy's head you know thank god um but even but it that does look enough like him that yeah, it's that's the thing on i don't like that freaked me out when i was younger because i was just like i knew that it wasn't real but it wasn't a shit prosthetic like it wasn't like arnold schwarzenegger's face in total recall um <laughs> you know what i mean where his head sort of comes over and he looks like he's uh-huh. like had a stroke because his face is all droopy um <laughs> You yeah. know, it's it's spot on. You know, it looks real. Um, it's so gross, and it lit- and then and then it gets better because then he just turns into that like weird spider thing. And then I just find that funny because there's the bit where he's like trying to sneak away, and I just find that like like you know really Looney Tunes. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's great. It's just so good. Um, and then just the look on Kurt Russell's face of just yeah. absolute like, yeah, it's just motherfucker. <laughs> exactly, yeah, and it's just, and they're all like looking at it, being like, "What the fuck?" Like everything yeah. that happens in this film, they're all like, "Whoever's left at that point is all like, what the fuck is going on?" And what have I just seen? And it's, you know, you're just there. You are literally just there along for the ride in this film, and you don't know how it's going to end you know um i remember the first time watching it and just the ending just you know it was my brain was like going a thousand miles per hour of going what what's what's happened you know what's what's the extension of this movie what does that look like what does the future look like you know it's insane it is insane um but the question that i want to ask you is Mm -hmm. is he or isn't he that's what i want to know is McGreedy um, a thing, as I like to call it, or, or not? Has he has he gone alien, and is he not? Does he does he say that he wants to stay there for a while um, because he knows that he's got a best better chance, like you were saying earlier, to freeze and then know that somebody or hope that somebody's going to you know do what they've done in the movie, which is come across them, um, or you know, is he doing it to be the hero? What do you reckon? So I ascribe to the breath theory. Right. So you can see McCready's breath, but you don't see Keith David's breath at all in that scene. That's Yeah, okay. That's a really good point, yeah. So you think, well, he's breathing like a normal human, so McCready, human to me. And plus, McCready even, like like I was saying earlier, he even explicitly explicitly says, you know, but should we yes live on yeah yeah like he's the and, he's like the true hero of the story of, of saying you know it's about sacrifice isn't it and, and yeah. uh, he's willing to sacrifice you know everything and so on because he doesn't he knows that this thing this thing can't can't escape it can't it can't leave where they are yeah so whether or not he believes that um keith david's character is an alien or not it doesn't matter. We're freezing here. We're dying here. Here's 
my fucking J and B whiskey. Uh, let's <laughs> let's share and freeze to death together. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's just the perfect nihilistic ending. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely, it's such a cool ending, and it just makes you, you know, as I said, think about uh, what what may come. You know, if if anything happens, if they're ever found, and and so on. But then you never know, and that's what's even better about this ending. And one of the cool things as well is um. I forgot to mention as well, but apparently a lot of it is to do with the lighting around the eyes as well. Um, so apparently one of the things that they purposely did throughout the film uh, is if their eyes are lit up, they're not infected, like they're not the thing. But if yeah. their eyes are darker, then they've probably, they're probably the thing. Yeah, so That's one thing I always sort of look out for now. I've noticed that before. Yeah, and so, then I've heard someone say that on a podcast after I noticed and was like, yeah. "I'm right." Uh -huh. Yeah, you were right. You were like the <laughs> eagle-eyed viewer. Um, yeah. So yeah, so if you if you have seen the thing before, obviously anyone, um, and you you know were trying to figure out who's who and if who who at the time has been infected or anything, then um, have a look for their eyes um, because they're they've either got nice shiny pearly blue eyes or uh, or they're dark and they're probably infected. But yeah, it's it's just um, it's a perfect movie for me um, in every aspect. Um, you're right; the ending is is just it's just such a great one, um, and it's one of the reasons why people talk about it so much and always have their opinion. Um, I always ask; it's funny because I always ask that question um, for people about that film, um, but I I still don't know. Um, but you've you've swayed me a bit towards um the thing with the the whole child's breath thing um i i actually hadn't noticed that so you've actually after all these years um you've you've brought something new to me so next time i watch it i'm gonna be like you know what oh no he's not he has no breath you're right huzzah huzzah <laughs> that's it um so there we go so that that is that's that that is that's the thing that is us talking about one of you know my favorite films of all all time um what I think is integral to to horror and and cinema at the time somehow didn't make well we know why it didn't make much money damn et um, <laughs> and uh, but somehow was critically panned but in later years and now um, is always on so many people's lists of films that you have to see before you die films that are important and integral to cinema and horror and. So it so it should be because I will never ever get bored of watching this film. Yeah, total classic. Absolutely. So that's that's the thing. That is it. If you if you have seen it, um, then you know how good it is. If you don't like it, um, that's up to you. Um, but um, you know, yeah. I'm not saying I'm not I'm not going to say you're wrong or not. Um, but I mean, you're fucking wrong. But I'm not going to say it. Um, <laughs> But, but um, you know, each to their own. But if you um, if you haven't seen the thing um, and you're listening to this podcast, uh, then you've done yourself right over because you should have watched it first and then listened to this podcast. Um, you know, make sure you do watch it because it's, uh, you know, it's amazing and, and you need to. Um, or make sure other people watch it. Spread spread the word that the, the thing, if they haven't seen it, they've bloody got to. Yeah, spread the thing the way the thing would spread itself. Very, yeah, that's, I like that. That's very true. Um, <laughs> so, with that being said, obviously, I 
you know, I want to give you your time to talk about um, your podcasts. So um, uh, horror, horror versus reality. I, I was lucky enough to be on the show. I listened to the show beforehand anyway. So um, tell us more about that, that, you know, the one of the podcasts that you do. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. So horror versus reality is a true crime horror movie podcast. Uh, we record bi-monthly, so two times a month. We do a deep dive into a film that is based on a true crime, and we also talk about the crime behind the film as well. And we kind of do a compare and contrast, and I give you lots of fun behind-the-scenes facts about the film and whatnot. And it's, it's pretty casual, but it has a, you know, a set amount of things that we do per episode. And I have guests on sometimes, like like yourself. Like me. Yes. Um, yeah. And obviously I had great fun being on the show. Uh, and we spoke for for a long, long time. And I'm we glad did. that I didn't take um the throne of being the longest podcast by what, like two minutes? Um by like two minutes behind. I'm, I'm so gutted. When you told me that, I was like, no, nah, I should have just talked more <laughs> shit for two minutes. Um, but hey, it you was know, maybe next time. <laughs> maybe next time. Yeah, that's it. I'll hold you to that. Trust me. Um, but I, you know, I love being on the show. But the good thing about the podcast, and I've said to you before as well, is um, you know, and everybody should listen to it because it has the aspects, two aspects of what um most you know horror fans and people out there enjoy it has the element of talking about a a horror film and going in depth conversation about that as well um and also having um you know uh, the information and you know of a of a real event that it's based on or loosely based on which is another really interesting thing which is why when i was on the podcast i was learning so much and <laughs> about something that i was you know incredibly interested in as well um as a as a you know a listener as well as being on the podcast so um okay. absolutely so everybody needs to make sure um that if you as you should because you're listening to a podcast all about horror films um mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you make sure that you go and listen to Horror versus Reality because it's uh, got a mixture of everything in it. Um, but you also now have a new podcast, uh, Attack of the Killer Objects. So uh, tell me about that one. All right. So Attack of the Killer Objects is a passion project that I've had in the works for a while now, but I just needed, um, I guess, more time at home for silence because, you know, we've got roommates and animals and tactic and there's not a lot of time that i don't have to like make the whole house like you know to record yeah so i needed to wait until there was going to be i guess less commotion um so yeah so we're to that point now so i decided to go ahead and release it i thought you know now was the time but so the premise is every um not week i do it about bi-weekly too just like horror versus reality Yes. but twice a month um yeah twice a month i have a guest on now unlike horror versus reality i have a guest every episode right. and i don't have a co-host it's just me and a revolving door of co-hosts essentially <laughs> and we pick a different film every episode to talk about that is a killer object movie which means because it's about a killer you know say pair of pants um it's 
it's really hokey and fun and it's you know super just chill and funny and we just make fun of the films for the most part yeah we talk about our favorite kills our like you know least favorite characters our most what the fuck moments stuff like that we just kind of laugh and kind of give it a little bit of a mystery science three experience you know yeah well that's the thing i mean you know especially with you know like this podcast as well uh you know i try and get information across and stuff but i always want people to try and not only people can hear how passionate i am and especially the guests that i have on are so uh passionate about what you know we're talking about what topic or what subject um but also you know try and make it fun and that's the thing horror you know is is a genre that can be so bogged down in seriousness and dread and and sad and nasty things um that sometimes we need films like uh you know ones that are about killer objects to sort of take our minds away from all this all this real horror um so they they are really fun we I mean we've spoken before but I I remember like I was the only one in a room of six people that really enjoyed rubber um (laughs) we are definitely going to be covering that one oh yeah absolutely I can't wait for that one um if you want to be the rubber guest it's all yours I'm I'm there you wait I'm I'm there you you can put me in for that one because uh, I will I've not met a person um, in real life that enjoys that movie, um, apart from, you know, myself when I look in the mirror and I can go, oh, you like it. And I'm like, yeah, I like it. Um, <laughs> I love the madness of it. But yes. we'll talk about that when you come on. Oh, yeah. Well, there we go. We've got it set. You've heard it. Here. Um, yeah, you heard it here first. That's it. But yeah, there's, you know, there's loads of films out there um, and some of them. Uh, are really just bad films some of them are really good films some of them are films like we love that are so bad they're good um so it's a great I think it's a great topic and I think uh you know I um it's something that I you know really enjoy when people are, are trying to take uh sort of this serious scary genre and doing something a little bit different to it so um well, yeah, yeah so, because there's so many different facets to horror films there's that's definitely... it horror comedies, horror musicals, there's horror, uh, you know, dramas, horror action films. There's a horror for, there's a horror film for every genre. Exactly. And horror comedies are so great. It doesn't matter how good they are, the comedy, whether it's just slapstick or just laughing at the film or how bad it is. Yeah. It's just, it's really, it really lightens the soul. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Our next upcoming episode that will be released tomorrow actually is Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Classic. The old yeah. George Clooney, right? That is actually Attack of the Killer Tomatoes part two. Well, which one's, hang on, is this the one with Jennifer Aniston? No, she's in Leprechaun. Is she in Leprechaun. this? Yeah. No. Jesus Christ. I've got so confused. But George <laughs> But George Clooney's in one, right? Isn't he? He's in the second one. He's in the sequel. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah. Nobody's famous really in the first one. It's been so long. Except one fun fact about Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Oh. The song that they play to eventually shrink the tomatoes and kill them was written and sung by the drummer of Pearl Jam. Oh, there you go. Look at that. So I'm getting, I'm getting facts about fun tidbit. 
that's it. Well, I uh, I mean, I haven't seen them for so long, so maybe it's time I, I go back and, and have a watch because then I'll know who's actually in them and not. Um, well, the best thing about Detective Killer Chibatos is not only is it a cheesy horror comedy, it's a cheesy horror musical comedy. Yeah, yeah, I remember that much. I remember that much. Um, and the theme song's kind of a banger. I'm yeah. It's really catchy. Yeah, there's some, I mean, there's some horrors out there. I mean, this is, and this is, I mean, to touch on, on what you were saying earlier as well, it's, um, I mean, how fucking cool is, like, the horror genre is that there's genres within it, you know, like. 100%. It's so vast. It, it has everything that anyone can need. Like, I get it. Like, there will always be people that just don't like it and can't deal with it whether it's just, they just don't like the gore or the blood or they just find it too intense and too scary but if you're a fan of fan of it <laughs> but, but if, <coughs> if you're a fan of it um there's so much like it's like when you're like i don't know what sort of film to watch you know and you feel in the mood for a comedy or something like that you know or a sci-fi or anything but all of that is within the horror genre itself you know um oh which is which i find like absolutely insane that it is such its own world its universe that um you you know you can sort of understand um how it has so many passionate and committed fans to it um yeah but, do you think i watch normal horror movies at christmas no i watch christmas horror movies yeah exactly exactly so yeah but um but yeah i mean you know horror versus reality make sure you go and listen to it um, because it's bloody brilliant and you learn a lot. Um, and Attack of the Killer Objects, make sure you go and listen to that because it's bloody fun. And um, and then I'll definitely be on it at some point, which is, uh, you know, it's good for me. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll schedule that. That's off, it. Off uh, mic. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, look, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for having me, you know. Um, I, 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 you know, I love, I love, not being able to just sit there and, and and hear myself over and over again and to be able to have conversations about films uh, that I love um, is one of my favourite things to do. So it's nice when I get to speak to somebody else on the podcast um, and somebody that loves the movie um, like I do. So um, thank you so much for being on. and. Yeah make sure that everybody out there if you're listening to the podcast make sure you go and check out Anastasia's um, own podcast she's got two now which is uh you know way more than what I'm ever going to have and then um keep going with this with journey through horror this audio journey through horror um which is uh I find very nostalgic when I listen to other people's um podcasts and I hope they do uh when they listen to this one so um thank you Anastasia and um all the best for all your other podcasts that you do in the future. So I really do absolutely fucking love having guests on the show. Um, it's insane to me that I still get to talk to people all around the world um, about the films that we love, this genre. But when I get to speak about a film like The Thing, that, as I said during the podcast, I think is perfect and means a lot to me and it deserves to be the classic it is but when i get to speak especially on the podcast to other people like anastasia who who feel the same way as me 
um, it really makes doing this all worthwhile. So I really hope you enjoyed um, what we had to say about the film, um, because this film is a classic for a reason, but it's monumental for what it did for horror, and it's monumental for what it did for the special effects. Even if at the time when it came out, it did fuck all at the box office and was absolutely panned by the critics, which I still have no idea how the shit that happened. But it's perfect to me, it has every element. And it's nice to share that that conversation with Anastasia who understands and, you know, agrees of the layers and the elements that create this masterpiece. And that's what it is to me. It is, it is a masterpiece. And for me, it is John Carpenter's masterpiece. Um, thus far, you never know, he might come out of a retirement of movie making and, and make one last one and we can only hope so and hopefully kurt russell was in it as well how fucking good would that be but i really hope you enjoyed everything that we had to talk about and if you don't agree with us um and you don't like the thing then let me know get on the instagram send me a message and, and let me know i want to know why you don't like the thing um that's the point of all of this is that we all have our opinions um on the films that we're talking about and that outside of this you all talk about the horror genre is 100 definitely no exception to that so i hope you enjoyed everything we had to say but as usual we move on to something else that i absolutely love about the podcast because it's another interaction i get to have with you amazingly committed horror fans and that is the segment your first time so you all know what this segment is by now. Um, you amazing fans, you send through your first ever horror memory um, that you that you can think of. You send it through over to me on Instagram. Um, and I love it because I get a nostalgia punch to the fucking face when I read these. Because sometimes you're speaking about films and it makes me remember about my first time watching them. Um, or it reminds me of the scenarios of my life and everything that was happening at that time. You just get so much nostalgia because like I always say, you never forget your first horror film, whether that was the film that made you hate them and you've never watched them again, or whether it's what started you on this journey through horror. So I always add a couple in here because I really do uh, like to do what I can uh, to to interact with as many of you amazing fans as I can. Um, so the couple that I've got uh, on this episode, the first one we've got from Horror Hysteria. So you can go and check them out on Instagram, obviously. That's pretty much where um, all of my messages will come through on. Um, and this one... Uh, says that their parents um, allowed them to watch Seed of Chucky and House of Wax back to back, aged eight, and they were terrified. And I love that um, because, I mean, back to back horror, who doesn't love that? I did it recently with um, Alien and The Thing. So uh, in prep for this, so two amazing films, two of my favourite films of all time. So who doesn't love a horror back to backer? But... Um, I've just made that up as well, horror back, back tobacco. So you're more than welcome to use that if you want. Um, I will not sue you. Just give me credit. Um, but yeah, it's it's a great little memory. Um, and 
they won't they they haven't forgot it from the age of eight and it's exactly like i'm saying you don't forget it because it's monumental in your life it means you either hate it or you love it um and then the next one that i've got um is from um leprechaun 81 um who once again is on instagram so please go and check them out and their um, memory is a little bit longer which once again i love and he's put that he went to a birthday sleepover when he was about 11. it's the 90s so of course a horror movie gets put on sleepaway camp it was my first time watching a real horror film start to finish and i was holding up okay until the end scene when i saw holding the severed head completely naked i had never seen someone's junk on film before and i was practically traumatized so many questions it didn't sleep too well that night and blamed it on too much pizza and cake yeah i mean i would have done the same as well you know pizza and cake is most of um you know what i do in my life and uh and yeah, and, and I blame that on most of my life's troubles, um, especially when I've watched a, a horror film that doesn't let me sleep. But it's another example of how we don't forget it, how much it means to us, how much of it we remember, and how it all becomes that nostalgia throat punch that we love feeling. Um, and I love getting these messages through, and I love hearing and speaking to people about them whether it's for the podcast or on the podcast or in real life um it's amazing so thank you leprechaun 81 or if you'd rather just be known as dave um <laughs> either or go and check them out on instagram and that's that's it you know if you i like to put a couple in here so if you do want your first um experience with a horror film your first time put in to one of the podcast episodes then get over to instagram send me a message on there and just detail it out as much as you want because i love reading them and um, it always brings back memories of mine as well so thank you so much uh, to the ones that i've put on the podcast for this one and um and and keep them keep them coming because um the more that i get in then the more i've got to go from but overall that's it that's another episode done um i hope as usual i hope that you stuck till the end because i always try and keep it pretty packed up in here in regards to uh the content we put in the episodes that I do with guests are always a little bit longer, and I think that really works well because it shows how passionate we are um, about the subject we're talking about or how much we've just got fucking everything to say about it. Um, or we just talk too much fucking shit and it goes on and on forever. So I hope that's not the case and I hope you enjoy it. But we've spoke about the thing in its entirety and how incredible it is. Um and i find it incredible that i still am doing this podcast um and the, what i mean by that is um it's very important to me doing this and i say this pretty much every episode but it's very important that i do this podcast for me and the fact that you all are still listening and the podcast goes from strength to strength and i continue to get more amazing supporters of everything that the channel and the show and everything we do 
um it's it's amazing and that is all down to you amazing listeners and followers and subscribers um all i can ask you to do is keep going and if you do love the podcast share it on put it on your social media pages you know do everything you can um to to help promote what i'm trying to do if you really believe in in this this show because i do you know i love going more detailed into these topics for 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 as much as i can and do as much as i can to give you as i say more detailed versions of what happens in the film or outside of it behind the scenes and and give you what i can from it and i really enjoy doing it and i hope i can keep doing it and continue to do that and i can only do that with all of your amazing support so keep it up and make sure that you share it on and if you know other people that love horror then let them know and tell them look there's bp and he's fucking brilliant and he's so passionate about horror as a genre um and wants to talk about it then fucking go and listen to the podcast and you'll have a great time doing it um because sometimes they're serious sometimes they're very personal and sometimes um they're just a fucking laugh and i hope that i can try and make that work all together and bring you an episode at a time so as usual all i can do is ask you to stay creepy